Welcome to ITB Snacks, a series of short conversations about matters to do with international tax, with Harriet Brown of Old Square Tax Chambers and Graham Jackson of Hassan's International Law Firm in Gibraltar. Okay, so ITB Snacks, episode four, who'd have thunk it, right? So after our tour de force performance in episode three, uh, talking about ourselves, those of you who've listened to episode 49 of the main brand, International Tax Bites, will be aware that Harriet made a rash promise that she would explain to us in under 10 minutes the importance of translations in international law. I think probably I may. I feel like I can keep that promise because Graham has just said he doesn't know much about this. I don't know that much about it either. I'm telling them that you're a world expert and you're no, very no, happy. No, Graham, I'm not a world expert. I'm somebody who knows it's an issue. Right. Okay. So you highlight the main issues for us, and let's do it. Okay. Same. So the problem is, I would guess that we're going to talk about. I'm an English person. And I'm looking at an Albanian document in translation into English. If you say so. The translation is not the original document. Well, I mean, that's that's the very first issue where you have something multilateral or something like EU law that's translated or written in several languages. Which one is the original? Yeah. So we're going to. So what you're saying is we're going to talk about international documents, not contracts today. I think we're talking about international documents like treaties and like um, judgments from other jurisdictions or judgments written in a foreign language. Right. So the EU, as an example, has got lots of official languages. It has. Um, How does it square the circle that a document that's originally written by a Frenchman in French that he understood, it understands with all his social and economic baggage that he brings as a Frenchman to the table, can be read by a person in, I don't know, Romania, and in Romanian, in a translation in Romanian, and it and it be the same. I mean, I've got, so I've got a friend, um, Justin Miller, hello, Justin, who is a French lawyer as well as an English lawyer, and what he's described to me in, in terms of tax, the word fraud is has a much wider meaning in French law, covers a lot of things that we would consider avoidance. Yeah, and I think you, you see the, the the sort of the converse where um, even without translation, uh, there's a different meaning of criminal for ECHR law. Um, tax avoidance is a very different concept in EU law to that in English law. So... Yeah. You, you know, even without translation, you get this problem that concepts aren't the same. You add in people talking to each other in different languages or translating to and from languages and you get all sorts of problems. And so uh, there's a lovely quote from, uh, I don't know, Bialek, Bialek. He said, reading in translation is like kissing through a veil. Oh, mm, okay. what a floaty boat. Um, and, and but you can see that, can't you? You can. See, I, I see the analogy because, well, in fact, that's a simile, isn't it? I see. I see that because you, you're never really going to know what the other person said. Not to that fine granularity of detail. You're not going to, you know. And, and there's one of the most common examples of this is um, 
in the habitual abode test in the OECD model. Okay. Uh, the French and the English, the wording and the concepts don't quite match up there. So you have that, you have that, that's that's a really good example. So in the OECD model convention on double taxation, um habitual abode is sort of supposed to be akin to the French language concept and um doesn't quite make it because I don't think an English person understands habitual abode in the way that a French person, which is why it uh, understands the French equivalent, which is why I think it's a bit of a difficult concept to deal with. Okay, so what happens? Well, so where where you're where you're dealing with international law, so sort of like international treaties, etc. Generally, uh, there'll be a provision somewhere which says all translations are equally valid. And yet different. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those lovely international law solutions where they go, aha. This will knacker it. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a solution, isn't it? They say, oh, well, yeah, but what if the translation doesn't quite marry up, you know? Oh, well, if we say they're all equally valid, then it's fine. And so the issue that then arises is that you get something being applied differently say we've been using French and English so let's keep using French and English in a French speaking jurisdiction than you do in an English speaking jurisdiction and I think we saw this in our last full episode where we were talking about foreseeable relevance and if you recall I talked about a case in the Singapore courts ABU where they took a really formulaic approach to foreseeable relevance they said well you've met all of the sort of um formal requirements and so we're going to say that that equates to uh, foreseeable relevance whereas in in the same in another context for example the cjeu in Berlioz rejected that approach um and it's gen- generally been a, a object a rejected in a lot of other common law jurisdictions so again it's now whether that's a translation issue or whether that's a concept issue i don't know but tr- translation does lead to this problem um, whereby you 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 can't <laughs> whereby you do get differences in the way that the same thing is applied in different places. So what um, I'm saying is um there there aren't any rules <laughs> to, to iron this issue out. It's just accepted that the issue exists. Yes. Um I mean I think. It's, it's the confidence that's the, it's the, it's the hey, I can't remember who said it, but the standard quote about the Americans and the and the English are provided by, by a common language thing provided by a common language. Wild well, was it? I, I can't, I honestly can't remember. Somebody should have looked that up before we started. Yeah, it's either Wild or Churchill or someone like that. Some, some, I, I thought maybe Churchill anyway. Yeah, somebody said it, and lots of people have nabbed it since. Yeah. Um, but this is really common concepts divided by differing languages because you know, we know where we want to be and then we send them off into the world in different translations into different legal systems. And it's hardly surprising that you're getting a different application, particularly in courts of first instance where the advocacy may not be as experienced and the judge may not may, may have a wider caseload looking at a variety of different things. So it's, it is really problematic and translation is just one element of that. And as you say, the proposed solution which is generally to say well all translations are equally valid mm. it's, it's problematic so 
where we've got a situation. So is that basically what is that partly what the mutual agreement procedure in double taxation treaties is designed to hoover up? I don't know if it's designed to hoover it up, but it could certainly be used for that purpose, couldn't it? Yeah. So they all sit down and decide who's got the biggest economy and the biggest muscle and who they're going to give into. I don't know how they do it, Graham. Neither do I. The cynicism is disappointing, though. Well, <laughs> the mutual the mutual disagreement policy procedure is uh, <laughs> it's all it's all very like we're gonna so for the for the for the for the benefit of the listeners that don't know what MAP is right basically within the treaty they they seem to within the convention model convention they seem to have, they've replaced the tie one of the tie is the tiebreaker for individuals corporates for corporates they basically just said oh we'll just agree. There's no test anymore. We'll just agree with with reference to the old test that everybody understood. Which is, uh, it's deeply unhelpful, really, isn't it? As these things go. Far too much power into the hands of the, into the hands of the uh, tax authorities. Mutual agreement processes are notoriously, um, what's the word I want? Notoriously long-winded. And opaque. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, you know, you need an answer. You don't need an answer three years from now. You need an answer so you can do your tax return now, don't you? And if they can't agree, you're stuffed. You don't get the benefit of the treaty. Yeah, it seems harsh. I'd say harsh and unfair. Yeah. It's not the only Uh, thing in tax that's harsh and unfair. Um, So essentially, I think we're saying, aren't we, that um, if something's in translation... are there some times where you say, oh, this is an official language, so this translation? Um, I think so, yes. But so with the EU, it has to be an official language. Yeah, and those are... Lots. There's lots. lots. Yeah. yeah. So, All again, not ones... necessarily that helpful either. When you go to EU Lex, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's one in every official language. If you look up a case judgment, you know, um, but things like, I don't think Breton's on there. Um, but there are some European languages that are not official languages of the European Union, so they don't do a translation. Um, in fact, I went to a, I went to a, I went to the CJAU. Have I ever told you? You've never mentioned that before, Greg. So on a case in the CJAU, and it was it was the most it was just as Brexit was about to happen. Um, I think we were we weren't the last to go to the CJAU. There were some some referrals that sort of hung over the back of Brexit. Uh, that, that one of my colleagues has worked on, a uh, guy that you know, and um, the but we we went just as Brexit was about to happen. Where the right at peak EU annoyance at the at the English at the British went well, did it? Yeah, well, we didn't win, right? But that doesn't matter. We we gave a sterling performance, and uh, you know the the tide of history was against us. But when they released the judgment, they released it in every language except English. That's Until so after funny. Brexit had happened, and then it popped up in English. That's so mean. Um, so going back to what we were talking about, which is this idea that you've got something lost in translation, I've got a lovely example here from an article by um, John Avery Jones and Philip Baker and, and others. Philip um, Baker, friend of the show. Exactly, Philip Baker KC now, uh, which was published in the British Tax Review and called The Definition of Dividends and Interest in the OECD Model, Something Lost in Translation. And this looked at the meaning of the definitions of dividend and interest in the uh, model DTA, uh, apparently by reference to their historical evolution. And 
what the, what they say about that is that the dividend definition, um, the origin of other corporate rights within that definition can be traced back to a 1958 OEEC working party minute. And in that minute, the same French expression, which is used in six treaties, was translated into English in six different ways, uh, one of which was other similar corporate profit sharing rights. Um, and so you can see there why some of the issues that we have with uh, sometimes determining whether or not something is dividend or interest is um, stems from potentially this translation issue. Yeah, so I think, yeah, so I think as I think that highlights, doesn't it, that we the system relies on translations that occurred 70 years ago and that might have they become the language the commonly used language that's been discussed in in courtrooms. And I bet my bottom dollar, I bet, I bet you a tenner, I bet you a tenner that as things, as there's been more translations, translation has become more rigorous. So relying on ancient translations is probably not a good idea. Well, it certainly seems to raise some questions. And I, I think that's maybe all we've got time for. Yeah. So there you go. That's it. You can't trust them. That's what we've decided. <laughs> I'm not I'm not ta- I'm, I'm not taking the bait. I'm not taking the bait. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's another uh, ITB snacks. It highlights some of the issues with um translations and very nice to speak to everybody. See you later. See you soon. Bye.